So Money Episode 637, Eric Roberge, Certified Financial Planner. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Back by popular demand, Eric Roberge is in the house. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. If you listened to last Friday's episode of Ask Farnoosh, you know Eric was my esteemed co-host that day. And so... He was amazing. I wanted to bring him back for a one-on-one interview because as a certified financial planner, as the founder of his own virtual financial planning company, I think Eric has a really wonderful grasp on all the issues young professionals are facing when it comes to money and debt and saving, personal finance and everything in between. A little bit more about our guest, Eric. His financial planning firm is called Beyond Your Hammock. He previously worked for State Street and J.P. Morgan before launching his own firm at the ripe age of 33. And he helps people primarily in their 30s and 40s make strategic decisions with their money to achieve financial independence, something we all want. Eric has been named one of Investopedia's top 100 most influential advisors, and he often contributes to Forbes and Money Magazine. So should you hire an advisor? How much will it cost? What are some of Eric's biggest financial tips for the current generation? All this and way more. Here we go. Here's Eric Roberge. Eric Roberge, welcome to So Money. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, Farnoosh. Thanks for having me. I, I'm psyched to have this conversation today. I like that word, psyched. Well, I'm psyched too, you know, because uh, f- the, the topic of personal financial advice, paying for advice is, I think we all understand that there's value in that. It's just for some of us, we're on the fence because we're not really sure if we can afford it. Should we afford it? Um w- Let's start there. For those of us who are on this podcast listening and nodding our heads going, yeah, you know, I mean, financial advice is important. I probably need some help. But am I really the right candidate to work with a professional? Um, How do you evaluate that? Well, I think you first have to ask yourself, what is it that you want help with? Some people say, you know what? I just need life insurance. So you could go out and buy life insurance from a life insurance salesperson, and and that's the end of it. Some people say, I want investment advice specifically about how to manage my assets now. Well, then you can go out and find somebody that can charge a percentage of your assets, so 1% to help you manage that money. Um, Or if someone really needs more comprehensive help, it's important to look for a certified financial planner who provides comprehensive financial planning that can help you with cash flow organization, goal um, development, and some of the other things that go into that are investments and paying down debt and buying homes and using your health savings account. So I think you have to, again, understand what you want first and then go out and find somebody that can provide you with that thing. Um, This last thing I was talking about, really, the only financial planners who provide comprehensive planning um, can help you with that. People that are in their 30s can look for somebody that offers a a monthly subscription plan so that you can just pay out of cash flow to get the help you need. 
So that's always the challenge too. Well, I want help with my money, but- How do I afford it? I can't afford it right now. So what do I do? Do I pay the financial planner or do I go out to dinner tonight? Like I never want to be in that situation, right? So income is a big factor. If you're making 30 or $40,000 a year, it may not be time for you to do that. But if you're making, you know, 90, 100 or more, uh, then get a financial planner, at least get one conversation under your belt and decide what to do next. Right, right. Um, because I think that is a misperception that you necessarily need to have either a lot of money or you have to necessarily pay an, an advisor um, a very, it's a very strict structure of like 1% of your assets under management, which, you know, compounds. And frankly, you know, that's enough, I think, for some for some people to say, no, not worth it, because I could probably do this on my own. What's your take on robo-advisors? I think that is a loaded question and I'm, I'm loving it because the first response is, I think they're dangerous. And I say that because depending on how knowledgeable you are about your own finances and your goals and when you want to achieve them, it may be a perfect solution, right? If you just need somebody to actually do the day-to-day -day management, rebalancing and individual investment selection, but you kind of know when you need the money by and you kind of know how markets move and that you wouldn't make a dumb decision because the markets dropped off a cliff someday, then they're perfect. But for most people, it's a challenge to keep the emotions out of the investing. And you may find yourself making moves that aren't so in line with your ultimate goals. So you just have to pay attention to how knowledgeable you are and then what the robo is actually providing you. Right. Well, um, I think that in many cases, the the idea behind robo-investing is that you kind of set it and forget it. So you're not really, the, the idea is that you're not looking at your portfolio every day or every week even. So you're hopefully not going to be, um, you know, getting too emotional or you're not really seeing the day-to-day the -day fluctuations and getting concerned. Yes, that is... So so the, in that case, I mean, it sort of, it, it solves that problem a little bit, you know, that you don't have to, you don't have to, if you're not a savvy investor, it's okay. Like if you just buy into index funds or ETFs, hopefully over the 30 years, you'll end up uh, on the positive side. Sure. For retirement money, um, and you're, if you're young and, and you know that you're not going to be looking at the market movements on a daily, weekly, or even monthly basis, then it may be for you. It really, it comes down to the individual. What's your approach to investing? When you work with clients, um, what's your framework? Well, there's two questions there. So um, the, my approach to investing is not necessarily my framework for planning, right? So um, when I work with a client, we have to decide on what their goals are. So we're going to look at everything in the beginning, Sometimes the investment conversation isn't right up front where we're trying to understand cash flow and where to put the savings that they want to build for a home purchase or um, how to combine their, their finances with their new spouse um, or to make sure that they have the life insurance necessary because they have a child that just came into the world. So there's the planning aspect of it so we can develop a structure and the specific goals that we want to achieve, and we have it on paper so we can use that as a guide along the way. 
when it comes to investing, if we talk, we're talking about goals that are five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, then it may make sense to invest money. My approach to investing is to choose um, a strategic portfolio, which means that we're going to look at asset classes. We're going to look at U.S. stocks and international stocks and emerging markets and treasury bonds and figure out the combination that fits your risk your risk tolerance and your ultimate goals. And then we're going to build that portfolio and we're going to monitor it and rebalance it as necessary along the way. That sounds good to me. Um, you know, there's, there's a school of thought that says just, uh, just index it. And then you don't have to like, you know, really do all this maintenance and, and worry over, you know, how your stocks are doing. What's your take on that? Well, I guess you have to ask, what does index it actually mean? Uh, invest in an index fund, like follow the broad market, just follow the broad market because historically the returns have been, have been good, good enough for someone who's interested in retiring after say a 30, 35 year investment trajectory. Sure. So like the S&P 500 index or maybe right. something different. Broad market. Okay. So S&P 500 would be US large cap stocks. Right. Um, in this case, that's a very small segment of the overall stock market. Um, so you look at the U.S., the, the S&P 500 and say, OK, well, in the past, it's done pretty well. You know, 8 percent, 9 percent, 10 percent, depending on the time frame you're looking at, um, which is great. You know, over the long term, that's great. Um, I think there are fluctuations and segments when it does really poorly. So you have to really look back and see historically what kind of returns you got and when they happened. Because the first part of t- 2000s, it was basically a flat market in the S&P 500. It was like you made like 1%. So for 10 years, you had to just sit there and watch other parts of the market go up and down and wonder, am I doing the right thing? Should I just be in a bank account? Because 1%, geez, what is going on? So there's a lot of emotions that come into it and you have to understand those things and just really piece together a good portfolio for you. So combining other asset classes in there helps you um, make sure that your portfolio is getting the returns it needs all the time. And then if it goes, if the, mar- the entire market goes down like it did in 2008, S&P 500 went down like 46%. So if you have a broader diversified uh, portfolio, you wouldn't have hit the bottoms like that. So again, it comes back to emotions and what you think you can handle for the long term. I'll ask you one more macro question, and then I want to talk about your personal finances because I'm really nosy. Where do you think the market's going? One of the moms to one of the kids in our school, her stepfather is Howard Marks. He's the co-founder of Oak Tree Capital. He also writes these memos every quarter. He's very prolific in his writing. And he writes these like 30, 40 page memos about the economy and the stock market. Warren Buffett pers- like subscribes to his email list. I've got a chance to meet him and he printed out his memo, his current memo for me. And I have to say, I'm pretty scared about what he thinks is going to happen. <laughs> He's pretty concerned about where the market's headed. He thinks it's extremely frothy. He thinks there's a lot of overvaluation. And he was right on the money about 2008, 2009. He was right on the money about the tech bubble bursting in 2000. He's been right before. He's going to be right again. And he thinks that we're headed for another crash soon. What do you think? Well, I guess the the definition of crash is going to be different for everybody. But if if you're saying crash means 2008, I don't think so. 
Um, the market has been on a bull run of over eight years now, which is the second longest bull run ever. So just based on history, the shoe's going to drop at some point. It's just a, a normal market correction could be anything from 10 to 20%. So if we see that in the next two years, I would not be surprised. However, there's no reason to change your long-term portfolio just because the market might drop 10 to 20%. Because really, if you have a good investment plan, you've built in those assumptions already for that kind of drop. And I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. But for people who are, um, for example, Howard, you know, he's got investors and he told me that he has a, a few responsibilities as an, as a, as an investor for uh, his clients. He says, I have to be able to time things a certain way. Maybe that's just too savvy for the average investor. But there are some people who, with that idea, that expectation that the market's going to tank, they start to sell some assets now. They'd rather they'd rather take some loss now than when everything is in free fall. Yeah, I guess it depends on when your time horizon is. Certainly, if you're needing that money in the next five years, you probably should look you at your risk on it. Okay. and back off a little bit. But if you're going 30 years down the road, nobody can time the market. I don't care who That's it is. That's what I is. think. Nobody can I time know. the market. So you can get it right sometimes, but how about all the times? And I don't even, I don't know Howard all that well. I don't know him at all personally, but how many times did he get it wrong? And just no one talks about it, right? It's when you get it right and everybody says, oh man, he got it right. Well, how many times did he get it wrong? Not everybody, people can't get it right all the time. That's a good question. That's a really, I wish I'd asked him that. I don't know. I think, I think I was in his house and I think I might've been kicked out if I'd asked that question. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so so shout out to um, to Howard Marks and everyone check out Oak Tree Capital. Once you become a quadruple millionaire, maybe you can give some of your money to Howard and he'll manage it for you. In the meantime, there's Eric Roberge. And Eric, tell me about Beyond Your Hammock. That's your firm. I love the title. How'd you come up with it? And I know that this was a very, this was a departure from what you were doing in your career that you, you've sort of been uh, managing people's money as kind of a a new chapter in your career. Yeah, I, I had to start my company because I was fed up with the industry of financial planners. Um, not the people necessarily, but the industry itself is just not conducive to helping people that are younger. So I got sick of my bosses telling me, well, you have to work with the 55-year-old um, white couple that's looking to retire tomorrow with a million dollars. Because that's not my life, right? That's not who I connect with. I don't want that. So I had to start my company specifically to help younger people not necessarily manage the money that they have, but understand how to build their wealth from now until the end of their life. So um, I had to design a new plan for that. And, and Beyond Your Hammock came about because I chose a name that I didn't, I didn't want somebody to say, oh, you know what? I know 10 of you based on me saying, yes, I work with uh, Robert's Wealth Management. Um, everybody has an idea about what that means. But when someone says, Beyond Your Hammock, they have no clue what I do. So it allows me to paint the picture. Because Beyond Your Hammock really came from me loving the word beyond, like beyond societal norms, beyond the everyday, beyond the crowds. I don't like to do what everybody else does, so I don't want my name to say what everybody else says. That's smart. Um, That's good branding. 
<laughs> yes. And, and the, really the, the censure was when I, I texted my brother-in-law and I asked him if he thought this was a good name. And his response made me choose the name because he said, well, I was just in my backyard yesterday. And this is such a coincidence, but I was looking at my hammock hanging between two trees. And I was thinking about carving on one tree, work whenever, and on the other tree, relax forever. And I just had all these tingly feelings in my brain when I heard that, because it's so exciting to think that I can actually help people do just that. And that's what I try to do every day for my clients. Between two trees, between two ferns, between two anything is a very successful approach to branding, I think. Um, You've heard of between two ferns, right? No, I haven't. Oh, um, Zach Galifianakis, between two ferns. YouTube it. You'll know what I'm talking about. And you'll basically have, you'll have to clear your schedule for like 48 hours because you'll just keep watching. It's really good. Um, Okay. I digress. Tell me, what is your financial philosophy, Eric? What's your money mantra? I want people to, to focus on what they can control. There's so many distractions out there that it just doesn't make sense to pay attention to most of the noise in the world. Um, my fiance and I just really have been doing a lot with our own personal finances, like understanding what we value and then going out and picking the things that we like, the activities that we really value and getting a good price on them. This is, there's an, actually an example here. We went last year, we went to Punta Cana and we stayed in this all inclusive resort for seven days and it was, you know, it was beautiful. And, and of course, people would say, that sounds great, Eric. We didn't have that much fun. Because we paid a lot of money, we ate mediocre food, and we didn't do much other than sit on a chair. We're very active people, right? So we learned from that that we don't want to just spend for the sake of spending and have this, what everybody else might think is a great vacation. So we, this summer, went up to Maine and we went to Acadia National Forest, which is the most beautiful place on the East Coast. I've never been to it before, but it was awesome. And we paid a fraction of the cost of the Punta Cana trip, had much more fun, were active, hiking, saw beautiful sights, ate incredible food, and we came back so refreshed, again, for half the price. So it was, it's about finding the things that you enjoy, understanding what your values are, and then making sure that you can spend on those now and still be able to save money for the future. I'm looking at Acadia National Park right now and I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say I've never been there and I'm from New England. So this is really a shameful thing. I'm, I'm aghast at these pictures. They're beautiful. And then you were actually there. Yeah. Um, maybe that's something that we will put on our bucket list. Well, I'm, that's, you're totally right. And not only aligning your spending with your values, but these experiences are totally worth your money. They actually do increase happiness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that like spending, investing your money in people and in experiences that actually, that actually can make you happier? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's the people that just kind of think they want certain things and just spend their money on those things and don't really get full enjoyment out of it that end up spending more money trying to find that enjoyment and just chasing it over and over again and forgetting that they actually have to save some money too. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. 
And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. My husband and I also did an all-inclusive in Mexico and... It was like you pictured it. I mean, it was it was mediocre food. Not not to mention when we got there, they spent an hour trying to upsell us on all these different tours. I'm like, all I wanted to do was go to my room and I was stuck in the lobby for an hour post uh, plane arrival. And I just was we looked at each other. We could we couldn't help but laugh, you know, because really, if you don't laugh, you want your money back. Um, but yeah, I've been there too. And, uh, never again, that's a lesson learned. What's a memory from childhood that you had growing up that really paints a picture of how you learned about money and how maybe that influenced your relationship with money? You know, I was thinking about my childhood and it's, it's a funny, cause I ask this question of my clients all the time. And when they come up with these answers, they're like, oh, I never thought about that. And it's really great. But I had never asked myself that question. And, and for me, I think the, the, what I remember is at one point, like my dad was out of work at one point. I think it was in the 80s when we had the, the late 80s when there was like a market crash and the economy was doing not so great. And I was washing the dishes or, or rinsing my dish before I put it in the dishwasher. And he said, don't use the water to rinse the dish because it's going to go in the dishwasher anyway. We, we want to save money. I'm like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> don't double, don't water double dip money. in the water, okay? Right. So I'm like, man, like what? that's interesting. We're, we must be tight on money right now. And I had no clue still because I was like you know, 10, 11 years old. But that's the first I remember of like making sure you're aware of what you're spending on and and being like committed to keeping costs low, I guess. But I would have said, because I was a, a real snarky kid, I would have said, but if we don't pre-rinse, mom, dad, and I was a big on, I was like the dishwasher in the house. I was actually, my mom trained me how to use a dishwasher when I was four. That's another story. But so I was really good at it. By the time I was 11, I would have said to them, you know, you have to pre-rinse because sometimes the dishwasher won't get everything. And then you got to wash it again. So a little pre-rinse can just mean a more efficient wash. But hey, that's just my juice. <laughs> yes, you don't know my dad. There would have been arguments would have been sued <laughs> and there would have been nobody would have been happy. Dishes would have been broken. Oh, my God. Who knows what would happen? No, I'm just kidding. Um, being broken so anyway. so were, did you always feel, were you a saver, you think? Just hardwired and programmed to become a saver as a result of your upbringing? Yes, absolutely. My mom drilled it into my head to never have a credit card balance if I could afford not to. So um, that was something I never did um, until I opened my business. <laughs> um, and then, you know, just being able to save money 
every month excites me. There's like, I get a lot out of doing that. So I do it every month as much as I can. And when you say it excites you, is it because you're watching your balance, you're seeing it, you're visualizing it? I mean, how are you, how are you experiencing the savings, if that mm. makes sense? I think it just gives me the control that I want over my money in my life in general, because I'm actually choosing to move this money into an account, whether it's an investment account or a savings account. But I also could choose to spend it on, you know, on something. So I'm choosing what I think is the best thing for me to save and invest, to grow my assets so I can make bigger and better choices all along the way. That's what's exciting. So what's an example of that? Like, how has your savings given you uh, some freedom that you that you directly attribute to your savings regimen? Oh, yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, my my fiance and I, now that we're engaged recently as of the last three weeks. Thank you. Um, we we actually started saving for our wedding before we got engaged, which is probably not the norm. But, you know, I'm a financial advisor and she likes finances. So it was cool. Um, we, we were saving a certain amount, each of us, every single month starting in January of 2017. So by the end of the year, we'll have enough to fund a wedding. Um, and we don't have to think about where we're going to get the money. We don't have to think about putting it on a credit card. We're going to have it sitting in a bank account. We can use all of it. We can use some of it. We can use none of it. But we're going to have the choice at the end of the year on how we have our wedding just because we saved every single month up to that point. And we don't really feel it. It's not like we're like, oh, we can't live our lives now because we're saving for our wedding. It's just a little bit. And you save it along the way. That's perfect example of, of doing that. And something I learned from producing my wedding and I call it producing because it was a production. Like it really is like many, many things flying at you at once. Uh, some of the vendors don't accept credit cards. They just take check or cash, which is kind of scary because it's a lot of money. Like our, our uh, caterers, you know, they just wanted a check and it didn't come all at once. They did it in stages. So that was helpful. But uh, that's another reason why having cash is really important. It's some things you just can't put on a credit card, depending on your vendor. Well, so question for you. I just wrote about this for Mint.com, how people are affording weddings. And it turns out that, you know, an increasing number of couples, because we're getting married later in life, when we're hopefully more financially independent, we're paying for our weddings ourselves. But that's not to say that the parents aren't still involved. And that's the second biggest source of uh, contribution for a wedding is still the, the bride's parents. Would you be open to accepting monetary gifts from family or contributions towards the wedding? Or you strictly want to do this on your own? You know, we talked about that. And from my perspective, I would much rather have my own parents keep their money and either have it for their own retirement, which is coming up very shortly, or spend it on us in in the years to come. Like, let's go out to more dinners and enjoy great food and family when we have kids and other things like that, rather than just blowing it on one day. So I'd rather have them stay out of it and let me just handle whatever we handle, and we'll keep the cost as low as we can to make the, again, going back to values, what do we really appreciate? We appreciate family. We appreciate good food. That's what we want at our wedding. We want celebration. We don't need all these fancy things. You're a good son. <laughs> You're a good son. What's a mistake you, you've you made? Have you ever 
made a financial mistake? Anything? Oh man, yes. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> when I left, when I left J.P. Morgan, um, I was making a good amount of money, and when I left, I made zero dollars because I started independently as a financial advisor. So I had I had no money coming in, and although I had done a good job saving before then, I didn't actually build a budget or a kind of a plan for how I'm going to start making money and how much I can spend a month before I run out. So I found myself stuck at my parents' place. I had to move back with my parents and I was stuck there from like 27 to 29 years old because I didn't make enough money to afford my life and my savings was getting eaten away at all along the way. That was a huge mistake and also a great learning opportunity to understand cash flow and planning purposes for planning purposes. So when did you hit the brakes? Because I feel like that's happened to me too. Sometimes when I'm I'm a, a little careless about spending, I, I have a wake up moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I didn't realize I was, you know, running such a, a bill, a tab, and I need to, you know, maybe pare, pare down some costs. And so for the next six months, I... I embark on an austerity program <laughs> called, you know, uh, just not eating out for, you know, a while. But, but what, 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 what was there a moment for you where you had this realization and what, what did you do in that moment? I think it was realizing that I wasn't able to pay off the credit card every month. And I'm like, oh, there's a balance. Mm-hmm. And that balance is growing right now. And I'm paying interest, which was like a real, like a, in the side. Your mom I, I told just, you never have a credit card balance. Exactly. So I'm like, this is awful. It really hurts. So I need to figure things out. I need to really slow down the spending. Not that I was like spending so much money, but I need to pay more attention to my money. And I also need to get a side job so I can have money coming in so I can survive the beginnings of my business. Right. Which is very important. To give yourself some runway. We always talk about that when you're starting your own business and quitting your day job to do it. Just don't quit your day job until you've got some financial runway, right? Because you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to make money right away. You just need to be able to keep the lights on for as long as you can. What's your daily habit? What's your daily money habit, Eric? I don't have a daily money habit. I have a monthly money habit. Okay. And I call it like my money meditation because at the end, at the beginning of every month, I sit down with my computer and I look at all of my spending and my income from the month before. And I actually manually put it into a spreadsheet. So it's all together, my business, my personal, and my, then my net income at the end. And by going through this, I stay abreast of all of my spending habits and what's going on and what expenses are going up and down and left and right and how much money I can actually save at the end of the month is determined by this spreadsheet. So then I move the money manually from my bank account to my savings account or some other investment account for my goals, and then I'm done. And I feel honestly like I've been through a yoga class. Like I just feel so relieved and relaxed and grounded in my finances. Do you practice yoga? On occasion, Mm -hmm. Uh, not consistently. Have you ever done hot yoga? Yes, that's the first one I did. That's the first thing you did? <laughs> that's the first thing I did. Yeah, I want to jump right in. And did you stay for the whole class? They, they tell you not to leave. They're like, if you can't deal, just just sit there, but don't leave. I did. I stayed for the whole time. I mean, I, I've played soccer all my life. So, you know, 95, 100 degree weather running around outside. Um, I could deal with that. So hot yoga wasn't all that bad, but it was so great for my muscles. It was awesome. 
Yeah, it's a, you know, they really do make it hot in that room. Um, Sometimes it's just when you're doing it for the first time, public service announcement, just go with the expectation that uh, you don't have to do all the moves. It's it's enough just to sit there and try to practice breathing. But anyway, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This has been a great interview. Like we talk about money, but we've also gone in several other directions. Um, Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. And this is where I start a sentence and then you finish it. The first thing that comes to mind, just just fill it in. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is go out for an amazing dinner and then do nothing with my money after that for a week for a week. Good. And any reason why a week, not not a month, not a year. I think I'd be getting a little antsy about how to plan for it. Yeah. Um, But I got to give myself that gap period so I don't just start spending for no reason. Right. It happens to the best of us. When I splurge, the one thing I can't do without is restaurants and great drinks in Boston. Yo, Bo- where in Boston are you? The South End. Oh, nice. You know, I was I was born in Worcester, and yes. I had actually an internship at Smith Barney on State Street when I was nineteen. And my job was cold calling people to get them to come and book an appointment with my financial advisor that was my boss. Uh, I interviewed with them. I was on the like the 20th floor in the, you know, the, the all glass office talking to the vice president about like working there. And I was like, no, I don't want this at all. Yeah. I was really good at being on the phone, though. I, I didn't like the actual job job, but I didn't I liked just talking to random people on the phone and. Anyway, maybe that was a sign that I was <laughs> I should I should be podcasting and not um selling insurance. <laughs> when I spend money to make my life easier or better, I spend on a cat sitter. A cat sitter. That is a, <laughs> I wish I had a little sound effect going on. That's the first time anyone's ever said cat sitter. The cat sitter makes it so great for both of us to go away and enjoy ourselves and not think about if the cats are okay. Wait till you get a babysitter. <laughs> if that's making your life easier and better, wait till a baby. I mean, I don't know if you want to have kids, but I do. parents, yes. you know what I'm talking about. Uh, that's a that's a fun answer. What's what is what do you pay a cat sitter? I think it's like twenty bucks a day. That's she it. Is awesome. That's it. Yeah. A day. Well, yeah. you know, I guess you're not staying there. The whole, is someone is someone living in your home or no? You're taking your cat to this person. No, she comes. She's like, the, I think it's Cat Lady Boston, like really cool girl. CatLadyBoston.com. Wow. And, and she plays with the cats for like 20 minutes. She's, she t- sends pictures and videos of doing that every day. So we get them Does and we can kind of watch the cat. Like the Just whole for time. 20 minutes. Just for 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. 20 bucks for 20 minutes. Not a bad yeah. gig. A dollar a minute. <laughs> so she does that like, you know, let's say five hours a day because, you know, she's got to get to and from. Mm-hmm. That's 60 times five, that's $300 a day. Yeah. And she loves it. Not a bad side gig. Pretty cool. Just going to plant that seed for anyone out there who's looking to make a little quick cash. Cat sitting. Okay. Now, one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is. Compound interest. It sounds so cliche, but if I had saved in an investment account when I was like 10, that money would have grown significantly by now. Well, you know what? We should just make that, the the country should just make that a requirement. Like when you're 10, in order to maintain your citizenship, <laughs> you must put a dollar in a bank account, in a, in a mutual, in like a index fund. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then just, 
I mean, put a dollar in every year until you're 20 and then just don't do anything. And then that can be your, that can be your like social security. I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. You're not the first person to say this. You won't be the last. And I feel like it doesn't, you know, with compound interest, the beauty is when you start young, you don't have to be so aggressive. It's just a matter of doing something, any, anything, any, any amount compounded over 20 years when you start young is going to end up being uh, a significant amount of money, much more than what you started with. So maybe we should make that like a federal mandate. I agree. Let's do it. I don't know. Just a thought. All right. And when I donate, I like to give to blank because. I think education and financial literacy. Um, and I think it's because the more we can educate kids about anything, really, the better people they're going to be, the better they can manage their lives and the bigger things they can do in the world. Yes. Yes. I had a guest recently telling me too, that she likes to donate to educational causes because she thinks like, like you, you know, that's the foundation. If so many problems in this world could be solved, if people just had the understanding, the education, the experience. And unfortunately, so many people don't have resources to get, to get access to that. So I'm with you on that. And last but not least, Eric, I'm Eric Roberge. I'm so money because. Hmm. Well, I guess I can motivate a room full of people to see things from a different perspective. And we're going to be seeing each other, right, at the uh, XY Planning Conference. We will be seeing each other at XY, I think also at FinCon, FinCon? if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So I'm so excited for that. And I look for, are you going to be talking to a room full of people and changing our minds? FinCon, yes. Okay. Niche marketing, for sure. All right. Well, maybe I'll experience that and definitely will be uh, finding you and, and saying hello. Thanks for stopping by, Eric. Oh, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thanks to Eric for stopping by. If you'd like to learn more about Eric and his practice, go to beyondyourhammock.com. Eric is also on the Twitter at Beyond Finances. All this information, whether you want to download the transcript, listen to the audio, uh, go to somoneypodcast.com. It's all there for you for free. If you want to leave me a question for the Friday episodes or suggest that you'd like to co-host, you can do so by clicking on Ask Farnoosh at the top right and leaving me your comments in the notes, or you can leave a voicemail. I like both. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And I'll see you right back here on Friday for a new episode of Ask Farnoosh. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.